Have a seat. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> we had a full house, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. But it... It was beautiful. I just don't know if I can do that. Give Annie a hand. <clears throat> hey, Annie, the first time, Annie, you, you rocked this. You put it together. Give her a hand. Yeah. <clears throat> really good. Really good. Now help me out. Grab a mic and help me out. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I've entitled this sermon, uh, Read Jesus Pardue. Part two, uh, it's my French thing there, like all the movies, you know. Uh, Daniel did part one last week, uh, where if we're going to, uh, if there's anything you got about rejesusing us and the church, is that you got to be a follower of Jesus. And it was great. It was, uh, it, it was great. I really appreciated it. You know, this project, uh, I, I believe, has been life-changing in the life of our church and in the life of many of us right now. And uh, you know what I would love to do? I would love to hear from uh, you what you've learned, what Jesus has done in your life, what you've seen through the scriptures, I'm willing to take the risk. You're smiling at me like, are you kidding? You're going to ask the question? I, I am going to ask the question, and uh, I'd love to take six, seven, uh, maybe eight, if we're really rocking it, uh, minutes, and uh, uh, find out from you what you learned, what you uh, appreciate about Jesus more now, what you impacted you uh, in the middle of Luke, and what... and. Uh, uh, I'm going to risk it. Let's go for it. But you got to do it in like a sentence or two. And uh, upstairs, Kara uh, just arrived up there with a microphone so we can hear from you guys also. So I'm going to run around. What did you get out of Luke? I think it'll be an encouragement to everybody else. Two and a half years we've been doing it. I can, and I have no problem, as I told you a couple weeks ago, just being awkward and just standing here for the next seven minutes. <laughs> as you guys are trying to figure that out. Raise your hand, I'll run around and... and uh... We got one up here. You, go for it. Okay. Hi, Charlie. Oh, God. I hear you. I probably don't need a microphone. No. Um, being 66 years old and not knowing God like you have taught it until this past three or four years I've been here, your teaching, Daniel's teaching and Doug's teaching, of the Bible that I've never known has moved me beyond words. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thanks. Throughout the entire book of Luke, uh, Jesus showed compassion to everyone that he met. But he, what I loved most is that he spent so much time with the disciples, and they still didn't get it. And he was still compassionate towards them. That's good, isn't it? Has compassion for us. What do you like about Jesus now? Two sentences run. <laughs> <laughs> Two sentences. What I like about Jesus now and um, what I've been learning from the time I've been coming to the orchard, I really appreciate him even more about everything that he did for us and, and how he just loved us so much that he gave the ultimate sacrifice. Gonna be real, I couldn't do it. 
And I just really appreciate Pastor Charlie and Pastor Doug and Pastor Daniel. Well, thanks for that. This is, that's the last of the Pastor Charlie, Pastor Dan stuff. Although I appreciate it. Talking about what Jesus is all about. Anybody else up there? Hi, my name is Laurie. What I love about Jesus is he brought me here today as my first visit, and I've known about the Orchard Church for some time through a patient I had who's passed away a couple of years ago, and here I am two years later, but I am, that's what I really love, because I was so nervous, and he's, you know, pulled up, and he's, he's like, just go in, you can do this. <laughs> you keep, I've been calling you, so thank you. Well, I'm glad you're here. What stood out to you? Which, uh, if you don't kick in here, I'll be calling on people. Bob, what stood out to me is Rosie has brought me here four weeks in a row, and God told me to come here because he wanted me to cherish who I am, but with him and everybody else, and that's what is important. You got it, girl. That's good. Yeah. Charlie, up here. Okay. So the, actually the very first day I came to the Orchards was the first day you started teaching wow. about Luke. So that's really all I have learned right now, but it's been really good <laughs> to learn this way. Yeah, and well, stuck with it. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad. Yeah. Well, um, a while back, uh, Daniel did a sermon called The King Has One More Move. Do you remember that one? That was the, had the greatest impact in my life. It was awesome that just when you're totally down and out, you run out of everything you can possibly do, the king is there for you. And that's really amazing. Perfect. Uh, my name's Trent. I just moved here to Carbondale. I've never really been a churchgoer, and honestly... I uh, haven't really read the Bible, but my spirituality, I'm grateful to be here today, and uh, my spirituality has taught me to start learning to love myself for who I am and how to um, love and tolerate other people and uh, have peace in my life. All right, man, we're going to talk about that today. Good day, man. Um, studying Luke for two and a half years, when I first heard about that you're going to do this, this study, um, the whole book, and I just went, oh my gosh, we're going to do it for two years or however, however how long. But I've been a Christian since I've been 12, and I've learned more about Jesus by studying Luke than I ever have. And um, just knowing the account of it, that Luke talking about Jesus and what he did for us, and it just really strengthened my, my faith. And it was a wonderful journey, and I'm glad we did it. Yeah, no kidding. <clears throat> Hi. Um, been here for a year through the Luke. And what resonates for me, even though there's lots of lessons in the sure, Luke, yeah. the one that resonates with me is the one that says, throughout our doubts and discretions, he's there for us, and we can come back and over and over again and he'll still be there. That's a good word. Yeah. Hi, my name's Kristen, and 
I think what Luke did for me is really to open my eyes to the community, not just here, but in throughout the world. Um, it really inspired me to go to Haiti, uh, which was a completely life-changing event for me. Um, and just to open my eyes that people need help and we should be open to uh, open our eyes to the world. Anybody up there? It's your chance. What do you like about Jesus now? I love everything about Jesus. But, um, I've learned a lot about how God just loves us where we're at. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. He just sees our hearts and loves us anyway. And I also learned that God expects us to love each other the same way. What do you think is about the neatest name? Hi, I'm Luba, and I just want to say that the one thing I have learned coming here is that Jesus is always the answer, even if you don't know how to formulate the question. <laughs> Well, I, anybody else got to say what they got? You do? Give you your 10,000 steps. All right. Hi, I'm Peter. Um, I, I kind of got out of it that Jesus follows and comes and gets you. You know, when you have given up all of your hope, he actually comes and chases you down and brings you back. And that's what I got from you guys. And that's what he's done, huh? <laughs> We already did it. Thanks, though. I would encourage you to continually share with one another. And I have to say, uh, I've been through Luke a bunch. Matter of fact, I wanted to go through Luke uh, because it's my favorite. It's my absolute, absolute favorite. I've got times in my life where I uh, encountered Luke and met Jesus there in the way that I needed him. But this last two and a half years have been particularly great. I've really enjoyed uh, seeing his humanness. Uh, I've enjoyed seeing his compassion. I've, in, I've enjoyed seeing his intentionality. I've enjoyed seeing how he fulfills the whole Old Testament. Did you like that part? Wasn't that cool? I liked, I, I liked how he was on mission. And the reason that we did this, and I call it Read Jesus, because I think everybody needs, at, at times in their life, to get back to the main thing. And Jesus is the main thing. And church, uh, it's not hard to kind of just drift. Nobody's doing anything wrong. Uh, matter of fact, everybody might be doing everything right. And then you find that Jesus really isn't the core. And so I wanted uh, to spend time, enough time, where we became a Jesus-centered church, and that's all we're about. Actually, that it, you know, if it, two and a half years, I figured is long enough so that, you want to sit up here so you can hear me? No, that's not, just kidding you. You go wherever you want. How um, Jesus is the main thing. I wanted it to be a long enough project that it became part of our culture. You know, culture is what you do when you're not thinking about it. Culture is like the ethos of who you are. And I wanted the orchard to be about Jesus. And I got to tell you, after uh, two and a half years, 
you look a lot more like Jesus than we did two and a half years ago. I want to confirm that in you. I, I listen, I overhear conversations, and I'm going, man, that sounds a lot like what Jesus was saying. Uh, at the beginning of this time, there were people who, did, who heard we are going to do this for two and a half years, and they went, I'm out of here, and, uh, uh, and they're gone. And uh, boy, they missed the fact that Jesus showed up. I love how he's not like you expected. I love how he kind of blows the doors off of all conventions. I love that he is wild. Uh, I love that he says things that are so hard to understand that you got to spend a bunch of time asking him about it. I hope that's what you've encountered in Luke. I do believe that uh, the orchard is more Jesus-centered than it was, that it is the main thing. And I'll tell you the thing, the real thing that landed for me, uh, and I think also for us, is right about, and you'll hear me tell you this story, you've heard it before, you'll hear me tell it again, right about in the middle of Luke, as the pastor of this place, I knew we needed a vision. I, I wanted a vision so bad, God, you got to give us a vision, one that we can all gather around, one that we can all get behind, one that's portable, one that's transferable for whatever season we're in. you got to give us a vision because everybody needs a vision because people perish without a vision. And give us one. And I'd cry out to God. I did this for months, almost a whole year. And, and right at the time we got to Luke 10, I'm, cry, I'm up in my cabin. I'm crying out, God, I need a vision. Man, we're dying here. We gotta, we, you got to give us something. I, I'm, I'm in Luke 10. You know what that is, where the guy comes up to Jesus and said, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, you know what it is. And he goes, yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And I'm like, just, you know what? That's all I want to do. That's all I want to do. I don't care about all this vision stuff. I just want to love you and love people. You could feel God come on that. You could feel God go, that's all I want you to do. That's all I've been asking you to do. Love God and love people. And I know that every other church and everybody's got that all over. I'm going to tell you that I didn't look on the internet to find the, the vision statements and pick the one I liked. That was just throwing up my hands and going, God, I've had enough. I just want to love you and love people. And I just want to be around people who love you and love people. And I just want to help people love you and love people. And I just want people who don't know you and don't know that they're loved, love you and love people. That's all I want to do. And I can tell you, I think God has given that traction in our, in our hearts. That's, our, that's who we are now. Luke has been good. We've read Jesus, and we're about that simple thing of loving God and loving people. Now, this book started with Theophilus. Theophilus is a rich guy who uh, or had enough resources to hire Luke to go write a history about all the things that happened. And so, in the fourth verse of chapter 1, it says, These things have been written so that you can have certainty on the things that you believe. That's where this started. We preached that message two and a half years ago. This all has been written so that you can have certainty for the things that you believe. And now, here we are, two and a half years later. We're almost. Two and, you can count the months for you guys who are particular. And uh, how does it end? Well, two weeks ago, it ends with Jesus being taken up into heaven and is with the Father right now. I wanted to circle back around to the, word, the last words that Luke has Jesus saying. The last words that he said. 
told you I was going to do that two weeks ago. What did Jesus say, the last thing he said in the book of Luke? Well, he's in the upper room. And he, and he says that he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. That the Messiah, put it up there, 20, I think it's 46, 146. He told them, this is what is written, that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And, next verse, repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. These are the la- this is the last thing Jesus says. Now that you've gone through the whole book and that you have certainty, and I gotta tell you, I am done with Luke now after two and a half years. I got more questions than I started with, but I'm much more certain about the core things than when I started. You are much more certain than you even realize about the core things of who Jesus is. That he uh, put the f- first verse up, up again, that he suffered and rose again on the third day, next verse, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You can be certain of that. And I think, and I think we are. And I think we are. This, this, that is such a beautiful truth right there, the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Not a popular one in our culture these days. People don't even want to talk about sin or anything like that, but Jesus paid for it. Now there's freedom. You can be free. You don't have to have guilt and shame. This is huge. Whether you identify that you have it or you don't, you do, and Jesus paid for it. Doug Stewart and I, uh, key elder, I don't know if I see him in his place over there. Is Doug here? Okay, but I see Ellen. He and I, about three weeks ago, were in Starbucks down in Glenwood. That's my Glenwood office. And uh, those of you in the Glenwood, the Glenwood people know that in the middle of Starbucks, there's a big metal table, right, round one right in the middle there. And he and I were sitting at the table and uh, facing the door as people were coming in and going out. And we were talking about really spiritual things. I can't remember what we were talking about, but I'm sure it was really spiritual. And uh, a guy gets up from the comfortable chairs, kind of against the wall. You Starbucks people know what I'm talking about. Gets up and goes by the merchandise uh, uh, shelf and takes a mug and walks out the door. And Stuart goes, I think that guy just stole that mug. And I go, he did? Really? Yeah, I think so. Man, I should go get him, I suppose. I'm thinking, what should I do? Well, first of all, it's going to be kind of hard to catch him because he looks faster than me. But then what am I going to do? Beat him up and say, give me that mug. You know? Uh, no, I would like, could have had the chance. I'd have said, man, that's not yours, dude. You should take that back and put that back there. But he, he took off. And uh, I don't think we did that quite right. And, uh, uh, and then we went back to talking about spiritual things. It was very, I'm sure, the deeper things in the Lord. And, uh, and then he left in about 30 minutes. Uh, Doug did, and I'm sitting there, and I just know. Uh, the Holy Spirit's like saying, think about that for a minute. You saw that. You didn't do anything. It's just a mug. Because you know when he left, you know what I said? It's not my mug. I know I'm the only one who would ever say that. I know that everybody here would go, hey, you. But me, I'm like, oh, it's not my mug. I didn't say that to Doug because I still was trying to talk spiritual. But uh, so we walked out, and I realized, you know what I need to do? I went up, I went up and got one just like it, 
and I went up to the cash register, and I said, there was a guy in here about 30 minutes ago, and he stole a mug just like this, and I want to pay for it. And the cash register lady says, you don't have to worry about that. It happens. We know that's a part of doing business. And I said, no, I saw this happen, and I didn't do anything about it. Uh, and so I want to pay for this mug. And uh, she goes, oh, okay. And uh, so I paid for the mug, and I took the mug, and I put it back on the shelf, and I walked out. And I felt, I felt the uh, prompting from the Lord, think about this. Think about this. So I've, I thought, I've been thinking about it, and I got this picture of this guy who takes this mug, and now he's out and about with this mug, right? He's out and about with his mug, and, and somebody said, well, if he's with his homies, they're all like, yeah, I just stole this from, uh, from the store. It's pretty cool. Oh, good job, man. And if he's with everybody else, he's going, yeah, look at this mug. And they're going, how much did that cost? Uh, I don't know. I forgot. And when he walks back into Starbucks, uh, maybe you're in the room, by the way. <laughs> That'd be fun. I like awkward. But if you are, just go with me on this because I got something for you here. Because uh, he go, when, he, when he goes back into Starbucks, right, he's got, he probably doesn't bring that mug. He doesn't want somebody to remember that he took that one. He's got to look over his shoulder or he's looking over the next thing he's going to take. Pretty sure, probably, the guy who took that mug uh, has done a lot of other things besides that mug, right? Probably ha- There's probably a lot to manage around that. Probably a lot of sin management to go on in that guy's life. And I thought about it. You know what? That guy doesn't know that he owns that mug. <laughs> that is actually his mug. It was, it was $14.95, I think. <laughs> he doesn't know that, in fact, he can walk around with his head held high. This is my mug. It's mine. It's been paid for. And, I, and, and, and I, I'm having a little trouble recognizing him, so I wouldn't be able to tell him. But I would love to tell him, you know, you don't, have to, you don't have to act like that. You don't have to be like that. You can be free like that. You can have freedom, and you don't have to sneak around anymore. You don't have to cover it up. You don't have to justify anymore of why you needed that. You don't have to do any of that because it's paid for. That's beautiful, isn't it? You get it? You get it? That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. That's the good news of it. That's the good news that you've responded to. That's the good news that I heard. That it's been paid for. Somebody has to tell them. Matter of fact, the next words, put up the next verse. After Jesus says that, you are witnesses of these things. So the Son of Man, the Messiah, will suffer and rise from the grave on the third day. And how to, how to go? And uh, repentance for forgiveness will be preached to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The end of the book, the last thing he tells you, after you have all of this certainty, after after you know everything, it's not like you just go, hey, that was cool. It's like, actually, you are witnesses of these things. Now, a witness does what? A witness says what they saw, heard, or experienced. 
That's what a witness does. What they saw, heard, and experienced. A good witness, that's what they do. And it's interesting, isn't it, that if it's the simplicity of loving God, a bunch of you said this, and loving people, it's more than just, loving people is more than just warm fuzzies about people that you didn't used to have warm fuzzies about. If you love them, you'll actually tell them what you've seen, what you've heard, and what you've experienced. This is the biggest handoff in history. This is the biggest delegation that's ever happened. This is the biggest baton pass that you've ever heard of. Jesus is going to go up to be with the Father, and you are going to be witnesses. That has got to be the craziest plan on the planet. You would think that supernatural God would have a supernatural response to this solution. You would think by just one word, he would get the word out from, from boom, supernaturally. Instead, he decides it's going to be naturally done. One person talking to another person. That's the plan. That's, that's, that's crazy that he is going to use misfits, nitpickers, holier-than-thous, addicts, alcoholics, workaholics, cowards. I don't know, you do the list. He's going to use those people to tell those people who will tell those people the good news that you can be forgiven. That's, that's, that's crazy. Isn't it crazy? We need God. Oh, we need God. We, we talk about needing God all the time. We need God. God needs us. That's how this book ends. God needs us. You will be my witnesses. I thought uh, we would just get real practical with this, and I would bring in an expert witness. I thought I'd bring in an expert witness that could help us understand what it means to be an effective witness. And so, uh, John Hammonds, would you come up here? John's going to help me. Uh, John, we need some stools. We're going to do this like a a little interview thing, which means that I am going to be talking to you while we do this, John, instead of you just do the whole thing. Uh, John is, thank you very much. John is a medical malpractice attorney who's practiced for 40 years, been in over 100 jury trials. My understanding is that most uh, lawyers in this field have never just settled and they never even do jury trials. And uh, I've been in court another 300 times and uh, has encountered thousands of witnesses. And so I thought it'd be fun for us to get some insight in what it is to, to be a good witness from a guy who knows about witnesses. But one thing that uh, we gotta say right off the bat here, John. Yes. <laughs> that uh, uh, John first is a lawyer, and I asked him uh, to help me with this, and he sent me three pages. Now, <laughs> one page is generally five minutes, and we got eight minutes for this. And he, get, he sent legal pages. No, <laughs> of course. no, 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 John. Uh, secondly, uh, that he is from the South, and so most one-syllable words are said in three syllables. <laughs> so all that to say, John, we got to move, buddy. Tell us what it means to be an effective witness. First of all, give John Mohammeds a hand here. First of all, 
the first thing I want to share with you is uh, I appreciate the opportunity of being here, Charlie, and, have, and being able to talk about this. First thing I, I think we all need to understand is that every one of you, everybody in this room, has already been a witness. You witness every single day. You witness by what you say. You witness by how you live. You witness by who you, what things you do, who you hang around with. And you also are all hearers or receivers of witnessing. You observe other people. You watch and hear what they have to say and how they live their lives. So you already know inherently what is an effective witness and what is not an effective witness. The issue is, how do we do that in our day-to-day -day lives, both secularly, a witness in court, for instance, and also spiritually, how we share our faith with others. And the key word is the word effective. What makes us effective? If you're in a political campaign or you're having a political argument with somebody, if you're a Democrat and you're a Republican and you're arguing over something, you want to be able to present the truth, the truth of your position in a manner that is effective to the person hearing what you're trying to share. So, there are many different aspects of that, but there are three that I would like to point out that I believe are most important and ones that we can all understand and act upon. The very first is likability. Are you likable? Is a witness that you hear likable? In today's side, 30 years ago, real quickly, 30 years ago, the attention span of the average American was 17 minutes, according to all the literature. You know what it is today? Three. Three minutes. You've got three minutes to keep people's attention, so I've already lost most of you. <laughs> and the reason is that we no longer, as a culture, think much about content. We think about the messenger rather than the message. And therefore, what we tend to do is to believe those people that we like and disbelieve those that we may not like for some reason. And that oftentimes means we really don't analyze the message they're giving. We just look and listen, and if we like Charlie, we accept what he says. If we don't particularly like Charlie, like I did another day when he caught a bigger fish than me, we may not pay attention, and we may not accept what he says. So first of all, we must practice diligently being likable with those that we come into contact with, even though they may be people that we don't particularly like. So, so do you have one. a story about that? And I do. Uh, <laughs> I'm a lawyer. Of course I have stories. Uh, recently. I tried a malpractice case in which a lady suffered a devastating surgical injury by a doctor who did terrible surgical procedure. Uh, the bottom line to it was that we had overwhelming evidence 
to prove that she was a victim of medical malpractice and she was going probably she was probably entitled to about a half million dollar recovery for the injuries that she suffered uh, we went to trial everything went very well during one of the breaks the defense lawyer representing the doctor came up and said John I'll just you know privately he said we're done you've won you know cl clearly my client was at fault until my client got on the stand and when she got on the stand no matter what I had shared to her about how she should present the truth of her story she took this as an opportunity to lash out first at the doctor then at his lawyer then at the judicial system and finally at the medical community generally all doctors are evil so forth by the There's time a lot in here by the way I understand <laughs> a lot in here who don't like you already I understand <laughs> and by the end you seem likable. I'm trying to trying to <laughs> by the end of her her testimony I didn't like her and she was my client <laughs> and quite frankly about halfway through I wanted to stand up and walk up and slap her and say idiot I've worked five years on this case to get you to this point and you just threw it away the jury was out normally they're out two or three hours at least they were out 22 minutes and came back with a unanimous verdict against my client and when I talked to them afterwards they shared you proved your case it's obvious malpractice but there's no way we're gonna give one penny to that woman because we despise her she wasn't likable. Likeability. Likeability, number one. Number two is credibility. Credibility means trustworthiness. When you're a witness, what you share has to be trustworthy. The person hearing it has to see you as a trustworthy witness, somebody that they can rely upon, somebody they can trust. If you fail to establish and make that connection of trustworthiness, then the person hearing your testimony or observing your life or seeing you in whatever you're trying to convey is going to reject what you say. Easy example. This is one I won. Uh, trial. The defense, the key, again, malpractice, surgical malpractice case, the particular defendant uh, performed a procedure and he had hired the literally the nation's leading expert, or at least he thought he was, on this surgery. And he came in and testified in favor of the doctor. Oh, everything he did was great. This is a wonderful surgery. It's done properly. He was a super expert. And therefore, for my client to win, I had to demonstrate that this expert did not have credibility basically, that he was lying on the stand. That was the issue. So we did a whole lot of study. And guess what? I found an article that he had written in a peer-reviewed uh, document 20 years before about this identical surgery in which he said, this is absolute malpractice. It's written to doctors. He said, if you do it this way, it is malpractice. Slam. I got him. Inconsistent statement. So on cross-examination, I present that. 
And he looks a little flustered, but then he recovers quickly. He's a professional witness. And he says, oh, Mr. Hammonds, Mr. Hammonds, yes, I did say that 20 years ago. But I've had experience since then. I've observed medicine progressing, and now my opinion is different. Now I've been shown that I was wrong then, and now I'm right, and there's no problem. Hmm. That doesn't look good for me and my client, does it? Except my investigation went a little further. And I had the transcript of a speech he had given to other doctors about 10 months earlier. And in that speech, he reaffirmed his book or his article from 20 years before. And he said, I will get on the stand and testify if you do this, that it is gross medical malpractice. I like those words, <laughs> needless to say. We presented, I, we pulled up his transcript, we read it to the jury, made him read it actually, and uh, he didn't have much to say. And afterwards, the jury's response talking to me was, the man was a liar. We didn't trust anything he said. And we won, as we should have. Credibility. The third, and this is one that I really want all of you to hear, and that is confidence slash boldness. We are to be bold witnesses. Spiritually, we have been given the greatest gift. We've been given forgiveness, and we've been given Christ. And there's not a person in this room who hasn't heard good news proclaimed, and you wouldn't be here if you didn't believe it. To be a good and effective witness in a secular setting, you have to be confident in what you say. You have to be bold in what you say. To be a good witness for Christ, you need to be willing to be bold. I've got a couple of stories that I could tell about that that I'm not going to right now. Um, One. But I'm going, to tell, I'm going to tell one secular story, and afterwards, if some of you want to hear some information about some events or some uh, witnessing that some opportunities I've had in this valley since we've been here, I'll share them with you. But from a secular sense, another surgical case in which a surgeon made a grievous error on a abdominal surgery and connected the wrong end of the small bowel to the stomach, thereby bypassing 20 feet of small bowel, which is where you get all of your nutrients. That's how you live. He made the mistake. My client withered away and basically was on the verge of death from malnutrition because no matter what he ate, none of it got absorbed. He finally goes to a different doctor who realizes what's happened. That doctor did a revision procedure, saved his life, a lot of damage in the interim, but he did save his life. And he told him, you need to hire a lawyer. This is outrageous. I cannot believe that the surgeon did that. I will be your witness. I will testify for you. And I got called. I went to see the revision surgeon. Same thing, strong, bold, I will testify, I will be your witness. Uh, we go to court. 
he gets on the stand, having been that bold and confident, and he just withered. He suddenly, well, I, you know, I, I think that's what happened. And, well, I, you know, I don't know, Mr. Hammonds, well, didn't you meet with me? Didn't you tell me? Well, I, maybe I did, but, it, but all of a sudden, that confidence and boldness disappeared. We lost that case. It's actually on appeal right now. And when I talked to the jury, the jury's response to me was, Mr. Hammonds, if what you told us happened, this was a horrible tragedy. But your key witness was so uncertain, he showed so little confidence in what he had to say that it created doubt in our minds. And as a result, we simply didn't feel that we could return a verdict in favor of your client. So, we as witnesses, whether it's secular or whether it's spiritual, need to be friendly, likable. Uh, we need to be credible or trustworthy. And we need to be bold and confident because we know the truth of Jesus Christ. And nothing should stand between us and our passionate desire to share that love with the world around us that needs him desperately. Give John Hammonds a hand. Thank you, John. Thank you. John, actually, who I believe is not only a medical malpractice, I believe that, and you kind of believe that too, that he's a medical malpractice attorney, also has the gift of evangelism. And uh, you will be so encouraged to hear how he moves about. Uh, I've asked John to just be in this section after church here, and maybe there's a sort of a little Q&A thing uh, about um, what it means to be a, a witness and, uh, and even some of the stories that God has given you in the last months here at the, in the valley, which is, would be really fun. Now, I th no, so okay, now you got it, right? We are his witnesses, and we've got to be likable, credible. What was the last one? Bold. 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 Courageous, right? And I don't know about you, but I wonder how those guys responded when they heard Jesus say this. You know, you're going to, uh, the, the Messiah uh, suffered, raised again, and, uh, righteous, or, and repentance for forgiveness will be preached to all the nations. You're the witnesses. Now, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. When I hear that, I go, oh, this is always the hard part. Okay, now I'm supposed to be likable, and now I'm supposed to be credible, and now I'm supposed to be bold. Go out and do that, right? Go out and do that. I think that's the way they responded, a little bit of a flinch. You know, this is the scary part. That's why Jesus says the next thing. Put it up on the screen there if you would. The next verse. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay until the city, in the city until you've been what? Clothed with power from on high. Now, I want you to make a note of that. You and I know the rest of the story, right? Because you've been around a while. Uh, and uh, we're going to go to Acts starting the beginning of the new year. You're going to see how it rolls out. So you know who the power is from on high, don't you? You know that he is uh, telling who the power is, is for the, the Holy Spirit. And there's going to be power. He's going to clothe you with power for all kinds of stuff, for transformation. You were this way, and through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are now this. 
You weren't likable, and now you are. There's, he's going he's to give you power in your life so that relationships can be restored and there can be unity that only God could pull off. He's going to do that. There's even going to be miracles. You're going to be clothed with power even for miraculous things. People are going to get healed even. Crazy stuff. There's going to be power for amazing acts of generosity. But look at the context of what Jesus says when he says this. What are you going to get power for? He says, you will be my witnesses and you will be clothed with power for what? To be his witnesses. This is really good news. So you don't have to go out and, and automatically try. I mean, I think you should try and be likable because what's the opposite? Uh, you know, I mean, credible. Uh, uh, but you can't, how much are you going to work that up? All you're supposed to do is go out, tell what you have seen, heard, and experienced. That's all you're going to do. And you know what? The Holy Spirit is going to do the rest. Isn't that great news that you don't have to make anything happen? Jesus knew that they were hearing that and going, ah, yeah, well, you're going to get something. I'm going to give you something, and you all have something right now to be the witnesses of what you have seen and heard. And I hope that you have seen something and heard something and experienced something in this encounter in Luke over the last two and a half years. Keep pressing and share it. Share it, and the whole world will change. That's what you're doing, by the way. When you get baptized, you are identifying with his what? His suffering, his burial, and his resurrection. You're saying that I, was, I sinned, and now I'm forgiven. I come up clean. That's the picture of that. It's a public declaration. Somebody's witnessing when they do that. And you know what? When you take communion, when you pick up that bread which is Jesus' body, which was given for you. And that cup of the new covenant of his blood, which was shed for the what? Forgiveness of sins. You're saying, I'm a witness of this. I'm a, I'm a witness that this is true. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking about communion. And he says, and we say it, I say it all the time. If you ever have communion with me, it's the last thing I do after we take the bread and take the cup. Because whenever you take this bread and drink this cup, Corinthians says, you proclaim, what? Proclaim, preach, herald, put it out there as a witness, the Lord's death until he comes. Do you realize when you're taking this, you're saying, I'm a witness to this? That's what you're doing. As you take communion today, I want to, I want to, I want to uh, encourage you on two fronts. One, you know more than you think you do. You've walked this, and Jesus has planted more in you than you know. You have more to say than you maybe give yourself credit for. Step into it. Step into it and tell people. Just because you love God and you love them, tell them. And as you take communion... If you do it by yourself or with somebody else, just say, we proclaim your death until you come. We, I, am a witness of yours. That's all I'm saying. Let's pray. Lord, you handed the baton to us and said, we're your witnesses. 
And uh, I pray that we will do just that. Encourage our hearts in that, Lord. Help us to be credible, likable, so that people want uh, and know that it's paid for for them. And they can be free. We thank you for the freedom that we have. We thank you for the forgiveness that we have. We thank you for the depth of knowledge that we now have. And as we remember what you've done for us in taking communion, Lord, strengthen us in our hearts as witnesses for you. In Jesus' name, amen.